We appreciate you so much and the wonderful ministries you have for preschool and children and churches. Church, we should never take that for granted. Um, what's going on? We have great personnel uh, here, and we're wonderful, wonderfully blessed by them. And I believe Michelle is going to be taking over, and uh, so we look forward to her new ministry with us here at Elkdale in the months and the years uh, years ahead. So this morning, it's uh, good to be back with you. Uh, just a you know, short word, Arlind and I were away last Sunday, and thank you for receiving Bill Morgan. Uh, we got to watch it online and uh, watch the service, watch you, and, and just participate in worship with you. So I appreciate you receiving Bill and uh, the wonderful message that he brought last Sunday. And uh, we had a great time up in uh, Kentucky. We went to the Ark and uh, Noah's Ark, the big display by the Ark Encounter by uh, Answers in Genesis. Uh, that wonderful organization, and uh, we took our children and our grandchildren, had a wonderful experience there. It was very, very busy on Monday, uh, one of the largest crowds they had had. They had over 5,000 people that day uh, at the Ark, so it was a very crowded, very crowded place. And then we went up to the Cincinnati Zoo on Tuesday and, and uh, had a wonderful experience there and got back uh, Wednesday night, and uh, like many of you understand, when your grandchildren get older, you, you don't get them long periods of time like you used to. And so we take our four days and we, we pack a lot of things into it. Also a blessing this morning, we've got folks that have been with us to Israel. Raise your hand, those that have been with us to Israel up here. We've got three couples when, back in 2000, or, you know, 2015, I guess, and 2017. Y'all went with us. And just remember, what happens in Israel stays in Israel. I've got pictures, if you say anything, all right? I've got pictures of some of y'all. And uh, we had a wonderful experience. We're going again next uh, February. I already got 56 people uh, signed up, so we're looking forward to another, another trip to uh, Israel. Well, this morning we want to talk about change by an amazing God. And thank you, Micah, for, for planning the music like you did. You do such a wonderful job, you and JB and y'all's ministries here. But thank you for the wonderful selection today that just fits so much into uh, what we'll be talking about. And also... Uh, what the children express. So we're going to talk about the change by an amazing God. Take your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 3 through 8 in just a moment. Some of you may have come here this morning and you've been wanting change in your life. You want change. Maybe all of us want some type of change. But the change uh, that um, we're talking about has to do with spiritual direction. It has to do with the directory, trajectory of our, uh, of our lives. Now, we're not talking about weight, you know, trying to lose some weight or get exercise or I'm, I'm going to watch less TV or Netflix or uh, I'm going to spend more time with my family. All those things would be good goals for any of us as we think of a New Year's resolution. But I'm talking about the fact that we need to give thought from time to time about what Christ has done for us in salvation. And we need to think about the change that we have experienced and should continue to experience in our life. And there may be somebody here that you are truly looking for spiritual direction for your life. So listen closely to what we're going to be speaking about this morning from this powerful uh, scripture from Titus chapter, chapter 3. I often have conversations with people and they really want to know, does Christianity work? Does Christianity work? Can, can, there, can there really be change through Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. It begins with a relationship with Christ. It begins the initial, what we call a salvation experience. But then it continues on as we continue to grow in Jesus Christ. Here we have this passage from the Apostle Paul, which he is being so transparent 
about what happened in his life, about salvation. And he wants uh, the, the, those who are receiving this letter, he wants them to understand that as well. As well. Now Titus, he's writing to Titus, one of his sons of the faith, chapter 1, verse 4, speaks about that. And he's a son in the faith, he's giving him counsel, he's giving him direction how to lead the church. He's pastoring on the island of Crete. And the island of Crete is one of the largest of the Greek islands, part of, part of the country of Greece. It's located about 99 miles uh, from the mainland there in the Mediterranean Sea. And Titus is laboring, and he's sharing the gospel there. And Paul is reminding him of the, the experience of growing in Christ, the amazing transformation, the change that our amazing God does in our life. Now, and, and could we think of a better example of that than the Apostle Paul? Yeah, beginning in Acts chapter 9, we read about his transformation and how God dealt with him and made him into the great Christian that he became, the greatest of all missionaries, this Apostle Paul. And we have lessons we can learn from it. So the purpose of the message, again, just to remind us of the change that comes to us. For us as Christians, what we are supposed to be, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 speaks of that. But then in verse 3 following... For those here who need that change, or you have a family member, you have a friend that needs to experience the change in Jesus Christ. Listen closely so that we might learn from what Paul had to say. So let's look at this particular teaching. In this teaching, and it's interesting that, uh, Rachel, you're using the, the New City Catechism, because this is what this is. This is a catechism. This is instruction. Whereas the children are learning through questions and answers, this is like a hymn, very much like Philippians chapter 3 that we studied a few weeks ago. It was a hymn of the early church. It, it was a creed. It's, it's what they shared, what they memorized, so they would understand what God had done for them. So let's look at our first point, and that is we should be amazed by God's kindness and His love. Beginning in chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness of, and love of God, our Savior, appeared. The word kindness here speaks of God's plan of salvation. In His kindness, He planned salvation for us. The word kindness here means goodness of heart. It speaks of those things that we do that come from our heart. Out of God's kindness, out of His heart... He chose to, to save us, to, to bring Jesus into the world. It was the kindness of Jesus. Look in, listen to this in Luke chapter 6. But love your enemies. Do good to them and, and lean uh, uh, to them without uh, expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Now that sounds a little odd. God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. But this is who God is. I mean, God can't act any other way but in kindness. Now, yes, He is just. We'll see that in a few moments. But He is kind even to the ungrateful, even to evil people. The Bible says it rains on the, on the just and the unjust. But God shows His love. And Paul would share with us the, the purpose behind all of this kindness. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Or do you show contempt for the rich of His kindnesses and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? 
It was God's kindness. This is why He is kind to people. He wants them to repent. He doesn't wish anyone to perish, but to repent. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that it's a reminder of it. It's out of God's kindness that we're able to repent, that we're drawn to our Lord. Some of you are familiar with Big Daddy Weave. They have one of their songs that they sing is entitled, My Story. The refrain goes something like this, of when justice was served and where mercy wins, of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in, Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. That's what Jesus was trying to say and what Paul reminds us of. It's the kindness that draws people to the cross and to the love of Jesus. And then he goes on to say not only kindness, but he uses the word love. And the word love here comes out of God's kindness. If his kindness is the goodness of his heart, the word love here has an understanding of strong affection by our God. Now, the word love here is not the typical word. You would think that he was talking about agape. Most of us are familiar with the words uh, uh, filio love and eros love and agape love, God's love, agape love, the sacrificial love. But the actual word here is the word philanthropia. We get our word a, a... a, terapolis, a, a person that is generous, the therapist, I can't even say it all of a sudden, but, but you know what I'm talking about, a person that's generous, the person that, that is compassionate with his giving. And so here Jesus uh, is, is that one who shows compassion, who shows pity, who went to the cross for us. It was the strong affection of God that allowed Jesus to do that for you and for me. So picture fallen man. And picture this wonderful, good God of ours, this amazing God. On one side is his kindness, where we see the goodness of his heart. But on the other side, we see his love and his compassion. He pities us and and he desires for us to, to have a way of salvation out of our sinful life. And when did all of this appear? When did all of this appear? Verse 4 tells us. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, when our Savior appeared, when did our Savior appear? Christmas. The very first Christmas. That's when we find the love and the kindness of God appearing. It was at Christmas, the very first one, when God became man. Now, it wasn't the first time that we saw God's kindness and love. We see that in the Old Testament. But we see the fullness of his grace expressed in human form with Jesus. And so that's when his kindness appeared to us. Then notice, going back up to verse 3, after experiencing God's kindness and love, we see it contrasted in how desperately we needed the love and kindness. Notice in verse 3, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and, uh, uh, and hating one another. Well, let's look at those words uh, a, a little more closely. First of all, foolish. To be foolish means that we were ignorant concerning the things of God. We lacked understanding. We were disobedient, meaning that we rebelled against God. We were deceived. We were led deeper and deeper into deception by Satan himself. 
We were enslaved. We, we were enslaved to passions and desires. In other words, we had no control over the flesh of our life. There was malice in our life. There was this desire to hurt other people. It was, a, it was a lifestyle of sin. Envy. We keep grasping for more and more, desiring what other people have. There, there was a, a hatefulness in our life, meaning someone who was mean-spirited, who was hard to get along with. Hating one another. We couldn't even love other people. Now you may say, well, I, I wasn't most of those things. Well, if you're just one of those things, then you've, you're guilty of all, breaking all of God's laws. And then Paul went on to add, in other places, the adulterer, the fornicator, the drunkard, the one involved in homosexuality, the thieves, the swindlers, the impure, the jealous, the angry, the, those who are involved in, in factions, those who are hard-hearted, and those who are callous. So if this list didn't get you in verse 3, maybe one of those other lists got you somewhere along the line. That is what we were before the kindness and love of God entered into our hearts. We, we ought to be amazed by his love and kindness in spite of our sinfulness. Something else we need to be amazed about, and that's amazed by salvation itself. Notice in verse 5, the very first three words, He saved us. And he repeats it again later in the verse just to give emphasis to it. He saved us. Someone has said this really is the core of Christianity. The core of Christianity is the fact that Jesus came into the world to die for sinners. He came for us. 1 Timothy 1.15 Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief, of whom I am the worst. That's what Paul said. When we think of the word saved, it has the idea of being rescued from sin. The idea of, of understanding that we are preserved from danger. That we're delivered from the potential of disaster in our life. That, when we think of the word saved, that's what it means. But when it comes to our salvation, it means we are saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin, saved from the power of sin, saved from the wrath of God and all the judgment of hell itself. That's what salvation means to us. Now there's that negative side of it. And that is, we are saved from disaster and from danger. But on the other side, there's a positive. That we are lifted up to be blessed of God. Colossians 1.13 For he has rescued, again saved, delivered us, from dominion, meaning the kingdom of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. God has delivered us from disaster to a blessing. And we ought to be thankful for this amazing grace of our God in salvation. Also in verse 5, it continues by saying, not because of righteous things that we have done. It will never be because of your work and anything that you could gain in salvation by, by you doing all that you can, reading the Bible so many times, making sure you attend church, making sure that you teach and that you do this, that, and the other. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. A few years ago, I was reading a work by uh, Rick Warren, and he was talking about Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, 
we are reminded, and we saw a phrase of it up here on the screen during one of our, our songs that we were singing. We're reminded that in Adam, all sin entered into the world because of the sin of Adam. But then there is the new Adam, which is Jesus Christ himself. Salvation has come and entered into the world. But let's think for just a moment. In Adam, all sin entered into the world. Now, some people have misunderstood that. And they want to blame, blame Adam for their sin. You know, if it wasn't for Adam, if Adam had never sinned, I wouldn't be having these problems today. Well, is that true? Let me tell you a story. There was a man by the name of Sam. Sam worked as a forester. And uh, back before the days of your chainsaws, you know, all you had was the, the handsaw, the two-man handsaw, or had an axe. And, and so he was chopping down trees uh, for, for the boss. And uh, every time the boss would come by, he would hear Sam say, Oh, Adam. Oh, Adam. Oh, Adam. And after hearing this a few times, the boss one day asked Sam, What are you talking about when you say, Oh, Adam? He said, well, it's Adam's fault. I mean, he's the one that sinned. It, it's because of Adam's sin that I'm, I've got this backbreaking work. It's part of the curse, this backbreaking work. And it's the part of the curse. I'm blaming Adam. And so the boss said, well, let me tell you something, Sam. Let me, let me give you an opportunity. I, I want you to come, and I've got this estate, and I want you to live in this estate. And in this estate, I've got a pool. You can swim all you want. I've got tennis court, you can play tennis, you can do whatever you want. You can bring your friends in, and you can have a butler, and you can have a maid. And so you, you're welcome to use all of, these, all of these facilities. And so Sam thought, man, this is a great deal. So he took him up on the offer. So he left the forest, he went, and he lived in the palace. And the weeks went by, he had his friends over, he, he swam all he wanted, he played tennis, he did all the kind of things he wanted, all the food that he wanted. But see, the boss had said, but now there was one thing that you can't do, Sam, on the living room table, there's a box. And, and you can live there as long as you want, as long as you don't open the box. Well, as the weeks went by, he kept passing the box. Sam kept looking, and he was so tempted. Finally, he became so bored with all the other things that were out there to do. He couldn't help himself, and he opened the box. And out flew a moth. And he couldn't catch the moth, and he couldn't put the moth back in. And the boss found out that he had opened the box. And he sent Sam back out into the woods to chop wood. The next time the boss came by, he heard Sam say, Oh, Sam, oh, Sam, oh, Sam. He finally got the message. It wasn't Adam's fault. Yes, sin entered into the world. But all of us have sinned, the Bible says. Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But all of us have sinned. And here we're reminded that it was out of that sinfulness that Jesus paid the price of which we could not pay. So no righteousness in our own saves us, saved by the grace of Jesus himself. Let's look at another one. And that is, we are amazed by God's mercy. Notice also in verse 5, the last, last part of it, it says, but because of his mercy. What is mercy? 
Mercy is not receiving what you really deserve. That's mercy. That's just pure and simple. You don't receive what you really deserve. What do we deserve for our sin? We deserve eternal punishment, eternal separation from God. We deserve hell. That is what we deserve because of breaking God's laws. Each of us individually breaking God's laws. And so God is, is reminding us uh, through Paul of mercy that he shed upon us. Paul would also say in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. We've been made alive because of the precious mercy. We were all dead. We've all been to funerals. And whether it's been at a funeral home or here in the worship center, there's a casket that is open, we see a dead body. That's the way we were spiritually we were spiritually dead we couldn't do anything why because we were spiritually dead but we've been made alive because of the mercy of jesus number four we need to be amazed by god's work his work notice the last part of verse five he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the holy spirit these are precious gifts so don't, don't speed by these. Don't quickly just glance at these words and take them for granted. First of all, we've been washed, the washing of rebirth. The rebirth, you're familiar with that. You're familiar with John 3.16. You're familiar that that came on the, on the heels of, of, of Jesus talking with Nicodemus. And he told Nic Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus said, how can I enter back into my mother's womb? That's impossible. Jesus said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. You've got to be born again. You've got to be made over. The washing is just another word for regeneration. Regeneration is the process that God uses to wash us of all the filthiness of our lives. To wash us of that filthiness. And through that, a rebirth takes place. And so we are washed and, that, and through the washing, we experience the new birth. Then he says the renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is the process the Holy Spirit takes and makes us into the new creation that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 speaks about. We are the new creation of God. The old man is gone. The new has come. All because of the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent of the transformation. And then you close out in verse 6, whom he poured out on us generously... Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do you, do, you, do you get the picture of the Trinity? God makes it happen. God started it all. He's the one that, that brings about the rebirth. It's the Holy Spirit who makes the renewal possible, the, the trans, transformation, the agent of it. And it's Jesus who pours it out on us, just like at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out, salvation being poured out, the birth of the church. And we should be amazed at these wonderful gifts, these wonderful works of our God. And then number five, we ought to be amazed by God's grace. Verse seven, it says, So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life justified by his grace now what is grace grace is different than mercy mercy is you don't receive what you deserve 
Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. All right? So with, with mercy, you deserve punishment, but you don't get it. But here we get grace that we really don't deserve. But we get the grace of God, the outpouring of His life. We are justified, that we're justified just as if we had never sinned. The slate is washed clean. It's wiped clean for us because of His grace in our lives. I love the story about Billy Graham. Maybe you've heard it before. Many years ago, he's traveling through the South. He's driving, and so uh, you know that had to be quite a while back in his ministry in those early days. He's driving through a southern city, and he was speeding. He got caught. Policeman pulled him over and said, Sir, you were speeding, and Billy Graham had to admit, You're right, I'm guilty. And he said, well, you'll have to pay a fine. You're going to have to come immediately to the courthouse and appear before the city judge before you can leave uh, our city. And so Billy Graham followed him to the courthouse, and he went in, and the judge looked at him and said, uh, I understand you were speeding, and uh, uh, guilty or not guilty? And Billy Graham said, I'm guilty. He said, well, it's a dollar per mile over the speed limit, so it's $10. And it was about that time the judge recognized that it was Billy Graham. And so when he said $10 fine, then the judge got up, he went over, he paid the bailiff the $10, and then he took Billy Graham out for a steak dinner. <laughs> and Billy Graham always said, that is a picture of God's grace to a repentant sinner. That is the picture. God paid the fine, and then he takes us out to the steak dinner. He paid the fine for us by Jesus' death on the cross. But we are now made righteous and have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have all His grace. We get what we don't deserve. That's His grace and that His love and mercy in our life. We ought to be amazed. He goes on to say in verse 7, We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And instead of living our whole life wondering if we're going to go to heaven and if everything is going to be fine, if we're going to work hard enough, no, 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 no. It's by His grace. We're justified by His grace. And that means we're now heirs of everything Jesus Christ has is ours in heaven. We're heirs. This is our eternal hope. We're going to have heaven. So we don't have to wonder about this the rest of our life. Life may be tough. We're going to lose our family members. We're going to lose loved ones. We're going to have ups and downs. But we don't have to worry about eternity. We are heirs of the eternal hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And that is heaven. Now one last area that we need to be amazed. And that's in verse 8. That we need to be amazed by God's assignment. By God's assignment. In verse 8 he says, This is a trustworthy saying. And he's talking about the catechism, he's talking about the hymn, he's talking about the creed we just read through. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. He says, I want these things stressed. You and I need to be careful to devote ourselves to good things. These things are excellent. These things are profitable. Go back to verse 1 and 2 in chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject. He's talking to Christians. These are the things. These are the good things. Be subject to the rulers and authorities. 
Be obedient. Be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. Now folks, I'm going to tell you, we live in, we live in some hard times. We may be blessed somewhat still here in the South because of our faith and even though we may not have lots of people around us attending church and, and, and practicing faith, but at least we still have somewhat of a goodwill, good spirit. We read what's happening in the rest of our country, it would be easy to become critical and hateful and think ourselves better than everyone else in this world. We need to be careful of our attitude. We need to be kind and to be loving. We serve a just God, and a just God will take care. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We let him take care of that. In the process, we have to be careful about our attitude. Paul would tell us over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he said, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's got work for you. He's got work for you. Just like Rachel and Amanda filled in during an interim period. He had work for them, for, them uh, for these ladies. He still has work for them. He has work for all of us. Uh, these were already been prepared. Are you doing what God has prepared you for? This is your assignment. To do good. Because this is excellent. This is profitable. Now let me close with this story. There was a man by the name of Lindsay Clegg. He was a, a London businessman. And he was, uh, needed to sell a warehouse. He had some property and it had a warehouse on it. And he was going to sell it. Part of the problem with the, with the warehouse was that the doors had been smashed by vandalism. Windows had been broken out. Inside, there was, there was paper. There was filth. Uh, people had just kind of ransacked this warehouse. It had sat empty for so long. He's showing a developer. He is showing a developer the warehouse to sell it to him and as he's going around showing the developer he started offering he said now if, if you're interested if you really want to buy this now I'll, I'll make sure I'll, I'll have the doors fixed I'll make sure the windows are replaced I'll make sure everything is swept up if, if, if you're intending to buy this and the developer turned to him and said sir if I buy this place you don't have to worry about cleaning any of it up because I really don't want the building. I just want the site. Think about that for your life and my life. God's not asking for you and me to clean ourselves up. Because it's impossible anyway. It's impossible for us to clean ourselves up. You're here this morning and you've not had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't start trying to clean yourself up. Get yourself ready. No, it's impossible. None of us here who claim faith in Jesus Christ. We, we, we don't claim that we cleaned ourselves up. No, we come as we are. We come as we are to Him. He is the one that works out the transformation in our life. He's the one that causes us to be born again. He's the one that washes us from all the filth that was in our life. He is the one that renews us through his Holy Spirit. And it's all generous because of what Jesus Christ did for us. He wants you.
you commit your life to him, he brings about the change. For those of us who've experienced that, let's, let's celebrate the amazing things that God has done for us. That he loved us and he showed us kindness. That he did save us. That he showed mercy toward us. That he's been graceful toward us. And that he has given us an assignment that we are to do until he calls us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. And we thank you for the wonderful work that you have done in our life. Thank you for washing us through a new birth. Thank you for renewing us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for pouring into our lives. Father, we are amazed by your love and kindness, by your salvation, by your mercy, by your grace, and by your assignment. So we who walk in faith with you, may we once again be reminded how precious our faith really is. Father, I pray for one here who is looking for change, but they've been looking in the wrong places. They've been trying to do it on their own. They've been trying to do it, Father, from maybe the way the world would lead them to do. But help them to know that the only real change that can come comes through Jesus Christ. The lasting, everlasting, permanent change comes through him. May they begin to experience that today. And then may they, as they walk with Jesus in faith through salvation, grow and see that transformation that takes place over the days, over the weeks, over the months, over the years as we walked in obedience to him. We thank you, Father, for what the children have demonstrated this morning to us. They have spoken truth. Thank you for those who've guided them. May we learn of them out of the mouth of babes because we heard that today. Bless this invitation as we seek your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.